You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, friends. Mike Prada here from the Limited Upside Podcast and SB Nation NBA, dropping in to remind you that to get ready for this amazing NBA season that's sure to unfold, we spent time this summer with all 30 of our SB Nation team sites and other friends of the show previewing every single NBA team. If you want to know what's going on with the Bucks fan base, with the Rockets fan base, with Timberwolves fan base, everything in between, just scroll down on our feed on Apple Podcasts or on SBNation.com to find the team or teams that most interest you. We preview them all, got the temperature of every fan base on the Limited Upside Podcast. I'll say this. People are treating Ben Simmons like they're like, well, I'm glad that that 35-year-old veteran finally gets it. And it's like, no, he's he's playing his first three NBA games. No, I mean, he's going to be great. I mean, is, are there not an awful lot of parallels between the start of his career and, uh, and I know it's a big name to throw out there, but uh, Giannis's? Well, yeah. no, Giannis yeah, was totally different. Giannis yeah. was, like, totally off the radar. Well, the yeah, yeah, but in terms, of, in terms of their games, in terms of just being super long, jump shot in development, being able to get to the rim at will, shit like that. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like Simmons is significantly more advanced with his handle, though. Like he he is fantastic. But see, Giannis has a good handle. No, he does. I, I think that's the, true. The yeah. thing that the thing that's going to be interesting is that Giannis is like there's a difference between like a six nine point guard and a seven foot point guard. Like Giannis can literally doesn't need a jump shot because he can just back his way in and then just like drop it in. Like mm-hmm. Simmons, I feel like is his athleticism is a little bit different. It's not as like like battering Rammy. Like it's it's different. Like but he Giannis, might be he, just as effective, but Giannis wasn't that way three years ago when he was entering the league either, though, was it? No, but he he was always seven feet tall. That's true. He's got the height. Like I guess I guess if Ben Simmons grows a little bit more than which I he still see. might. He's still what? Yeah, he's still possible. a teenager. He's yeah. twenty. Twenty. The thing that the thing that Simmons has that Giannis doesn't is that it's just otherworldly passing. Yeah, it's, skill. It's like that's that's he, what he has that the other folks don't. He had mm-hmm. ten hockey assists last night. Like where it was like the. Court opened up because he saw the pass before the pass. Yeah. Um, he also, and this is something we people were nervous about for him, but like <clears throat> his defense has been phenomenal. He's he's been guarding yes, every point guard, guarding every. I mean, he had two center deflections last night on the intro, on the pass inbound. I'm sorry, intro to uh, the post to Drummond, where Drummond thought he had position, and then all of a sudden, six foot eleven point guard on him got the tip, and, yeah. and then he'd switch on to Ish Smith and keep Ish in front of him. Yeah. Not that Ish Smith's like the world beater, but he's quick. No, he's a, his defense is very encouraging. Yeah. So I'm re- very encouraged by that. Really, the only minus defensively in their starting lineup is Bayless, right? Yeah, like they have a lot that's of defense right. potential. That's right. Yeah, I mean, as long as well, it Embiid, showed last as night as, too. As long yeah. as Embiid is playing, yes. right? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> if right. he's not playing, then they have a huge <laughs> minus. But this at all center. this all stems starts and stops with Joel. He's he's the guy. I mean, it, it, you watched last night. He made a concerted effort to make every possession start in the paint, and he shot like eleven of thirteen or eleven of fourteen last night or something. You know, it's yeah, yeah. It is. It is funny how Drummond looks tiny compared to him. You've, you've yeah. talked about this before. He did it to Whiteside. I mean, he's he's gonna make all these other centers look small, and and not just small, uncoordinated guys. Guys <laughs> who are, are yeah. world class athletes pale in comparison to him when you talk about like what he can do with the ball. Um, Joel's got to get more reps though, so that he's not absolutely. Like, he's not like t- he still is taking some really making some really dumb plays. I couldn't agree more. Like he still has got to kind of yeah. Like this is like this is why I, I'm very 
annoyed by Sixers fans sometimes. It's like y'all, <laughs> y'all have one win. Like it, it, I'm, I appreciate the excitement, but yes. like if you start to like, you're not trusting the process really. If you get so excited about one win, you have to like kind of have it build up, and it's going to take some time. And they're not like great yet. They're they're no, interesting, they're they're and not, so like not, I but... get the excitement, but like you're gonna wear yourself out thinking how great this team is going to be if you're like going gaga over a mid a win over Detroit that they nearly blew. Like they were yeah, up by I a mean... lot of points. Like that's the problem. It, it, they're not. What happens when they are supposed to be good, and then you then they they're inevitably going to have some some moments where they don't achieve their potential, and you're just going to be so mad. Yeah, when they get to a point where people are upset at them not meeting expectations, that'll be a good day in Philadelphia. Let's put it that way. You can say that now, but it's not going to feel like that in the moment. If you keep the expectations tempered now, yeah, but like, you're not gonna like go nuts about things well, go when things go wrong. Agree, but like, give me the idea that we don't know what our this team's ceiling is, and that there's this speculation about how we'll feel when they're really good over knowing that my team is. And I don't want to use the Wizards as like the core example, but like, never gonna win a title with this really really good player I have. Transcendent point the, guard. The possibilities are nice. I yeah. I grant you yeah. that. It yeah. is exciting. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's you, tough. Man. You guys might want to like tone it down a little. Like I, know, I, I agree. I agree. I'm today. not Tyler, bro. I'm not like. <laughs> I, and he does it. He does it from a, a completely different perspective, which is I don't know if he's ever serious. I mean, I, I enter Slack. I watch Twitter, and everyone's like. I also That's love kind of the point, though. Like, you know what I love too is that when the Suns. Uh, sh- stuff hit the fan like Sixers fans are like super like oh I guess the Suns rebuilt the right way and they started to like talk up about how all the shit that they dealt with now like somehow is null and void because because the Suns are a mess like it's like guys you haven't done anything like relax yeah but obviously because we knew that they forget it they're they're four games into this this campaign I mean, it is obvious, except for the fact that Sixers fans are not acting all the time like it It is obvious. Yeah. (laughs) I also just think there's, like, you have to decouple, like, the people that we know on Sixers Twitter are, fucking half of them are comedy writers. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, they're literally just playing parts. Like, Levin isn't for real. He's a joke. (laughs) He's funny, and he loves the Sixers, and Spike loves the Sixers, and, like, and, like, Rapport loves the Sixers, but, like, they also are 100% part of, like, the core of irrational trolling basketball Twitter. And it's going to be even worse because they will probably make the playoffs. Decent chance, but it'll be with 35 wins. Yeah, I don't like know if they're going to make the playoffs this year. Um, I I am inclined to think they will, but not with a lot of wins. 35. Well, <laughs> yeah. it, just, it depends on how many games and beat plays. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's ultimately the, the eternal MD. question mark. Yeah. I mean, when they, they didn't have Embiid against Toronto, they got their ass kicked. Yeah, and it's specifically <laughs> like, about Embiid because Fultz is a, barely an NBA player. Okay, That's enough Sixers talk for this podcast. Yeah. Hi, this is the Limit Upside podcast. That was a cold open. Good cold open, guys. That was a good cold I had open. no idea we were even rolling until like yeah. 10 minutes into Yeah, that's it. the voice of Alex <laughs> Rubenstein. He's joining us for this podcast and, and hopefully many more this, this season. He's going to be a new part of the Limited Upside podcast here. What would you call you? The stat guru? The what, ombudsman? What would we call you here at SB Nation? Just the 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 deity of common sense. 
That's there's nothing, you on this there's podcast, nothing godly about Alex Rubenstein. <laughs> I disagree. Yeah, yeah, other than his uh, absence from Twitter, which I'll give you, that takes a lot of godlike patience. Because I'm extremely smart. <laughs> well, I guess we should stop talking about the Sixers now. Yes, we have formally introduced this podcast. Guys, they starting... won, win. It was nice. It's cool. Mm. I like Ben Simmons. Like, this is exciting. Like, let it breathe a little bit. I don't, yeah. don't overwhelm me with yeah. too much excitement. This is like me making the Lonzo Ball argument you always make. Which is? Which is like, I'm so tired about the hype about Lonzo Ball, and I always tell you, we're in, it's reverse now. I always tell you, like, you don't have to listen to the overreactions. Yeah, yeah. It's the same true. thing I need to tell myself. I don't need to listen to the Sixers' overreactions. I can just enjoy them. Yeah, but just, like, let, let the fan base, and this will be the last Sixers point, there's a lot of other things happening in the league that we will be talking about today. Um, but let the Sixers thing breathe in your capacity too, like let yeah, the fan no, base right, have their right. fun. Like this right. is a, this is a star of city a for bit. exactly. Like, you're right. And and like the last point I'll make is there's a difference between having a great player like Giannis, and we're going to talk plenty about him. He's been amazing so far this year, and then a guy like Embiid from a personality standpoint too. There is a much more infectious thing, whatever that it factor, Q factor, whatever you call it, might be that that Embiid has. He just he's different from a personality standpoint, basketball notwithstanding. And so there's something about that, too. Um, and and we will p- probably talk much, much more about the Sixers as this season goes on. Mm, but for now, not. <laughs> for, for now, let's, let's do some early observations that aren't about one and three teams. Uh, let's do some early observations about teams, I don't know, that are undefeated. There's a couple here. And, and one of them is one of the hot topic teams. Who would have thought that we would start the first actual episode of Limited Upside podcast within the season talking about the Memphis Grizzlies. Hey, man, I tried to tell you. <laughs> no, we agreed that we, I think we, we kind of had some you. consensus there. People are like, oh, I haven't heard of these guys, but, but the no, thing they're, is, they're, they're pretty good. Listen, should... 4% of the way into the season, Marcus Gasol's <laughs> the MVP. Okay, let's settle <laughs> The 4% that. MVP. That's yes. the nickname. Um, but I'm glad we have Alex here because the Grizzlies always come up when we're talking in, in the office here. Um, whether that's Mike Connolly, Gasol, or just the Grizzlies in, in general. Alex is always very high on Mike Connolly, always a supporter of the franchise. Mike is not like a, a cold temperature here. You, no, you Mike, like them Mike as well. really good. But what has stood out so far this year, obviously there's two pillars of the franchise, three if you count Fisdale, the coach, right? Mm-hmm. So let's go with those three, with Gasol, Connolly, and Fisdale. Tell me about the rest of the supporting cast that's working so far to help with their, what, 3-0 start? Yeah, I think this is what I thought might happen when the season started, is that this is a team that had the grit and grind era sort of end on them uh, last year. And you you felt this tension. We talked mm-hmm. about it in our season preview. Like, David Fisdale kind of wanted to move the team on yep. a little bit from this, like, plucky underdog status and into something that was a little bit different, maybe more open, maybe more uh, different sort of plucky underdog status, but no more of this sort of old-school-style play. Yep. And then they lose these pillars, and they don't really replace them with anyone significant. And you look at them, it's like, okay, well, now it's now it's running out. But what I think has really happened over the past couple of years, and you really see now, is that this is Mike, Mark, Mike, oh, this is Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol's team and offense. Yep. They play a different style, and they've just got a bunch of tough motherfuckers around them. Yeah. Like yeah. they, they're getting guys like James Ennis, and I mean, I don't think Andrew Harrison's any good. Andrew Harrison, and my personal new favorite player in the league, Dylan Brooks. Hmm. Um, he's, know, like the, a, he's like a chubbier Otto Porter. Okay, stop it. <laughs> stop it. They are nothing alike. Well, and the other thing why I thought Memphis was going to be better than most people thought was I was really high on Jamichael Green, and three minutes, 53 seconds into the season, he gets hurt, and yep. they're still keeping that train rolling. Yep. So yeah, Fizdale's, Fizdale's been on his game, and Conley and Gasol have just been like they usually are, just been awesome. What specifically in the Warriors game did you see, though? 
Well, I just, they're pain in the ass. I actually didn't watch the Warriors okay. Grizzlies game. I watched the other two Grizzlies games. Um, I watched their game against New Orleans where it's like they, the Pelicans are doing this good, these good things for a while. And then like Dylan Brooks comes in, like changes the game. And then they just like piss the, the Pelicans off, the Grizzlies, with how tenacious they are and how, how much they attack. And it's almost like they, a lot of teams are looking at them and saying, holy shit, we're losing to these mother, these, Dudes, I've never heard of them. I've dropped two mother mother effers there. <laughs> That's how like, I felt about yeah. it. Um, the season's and, back, and they're just they're very aggressive. And I think um, when you build around a point guard that is now much more score heavy, much more aggressive than he used to be, someone who I think knows that he's one of the best players on the floor and plays like it is shooting transition threes, is mm-hmm. shoot pulling up off the pick and roll, is driving. You combine that with a center that can step out. And create this space. And again, this is something that you had to kind of get Gasol to be comfortable doing in game. And you combine that, it, you can now play these sort of like nondescript or non uh, well known wing players that uh, are kind of slotting around them. It sort of creates this structure that makes it all work. Yeah. And, yeah. The Grizzlies remind me of, of, and this is like, I don't know if we're already going to dive into EPL comparisons, but I'll do it for you. Hey, man. It's just like any soccer team in the world that you just don't want to play because the formation's strong and they have a guy who they know can finish in the box. Like, there, there's so like you're like, a you're saying they're the Burnley of the NBA. Sure, yeah. Like, Burnley's a scrappy team you don't want to play right now in the EPL. But, like, even without having to give a specific team to it, there are, like, sports like this. Like, man, the, like, the Patriots right now don't have much going for them in the NFL. They have a couple players that they 100% know what they need to get from it and a supporting cast that knows what their role is. And there's almost, like, a positive to having the definitive, these are the two players and how do we play off of them. You don't have to have variance in what you do. You make other teams, to your point earlier when we were talking about uh, in our previews about why the Spurs would be the team who you think would give the Warriors the most difficulty because they would make, in theory, the Warriors try to play their game mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to play what the Warriors do. And you, you see what Memphis does night in and night out. They've already done it three times this year. It's a little different, though, than grit and grind. Sure. I think is. that's it sort is. of the important point. It's not. It's a modern version. Mm-hmm. It's a version where they've got a scoring point guard and a shooting center, and they've got sort of these tough, aggressive wing players that are in your face defensively and it, that's what I think is really nice about yep. what they've done is that they they have taken some of the elements of what made them good, but it's they have modernized it in a way that yep. I think they've taken guys that should not be improving at this stage of their careers, yep. Conley and Gasol, and made them into totally different players. So so where <laughs> where's Mike Connolly fallen in that hierarchy? Then uh, there's a lot a, of this good is point an Alex question. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the my, the hot well, topic here's, conversations. Here's a great way to evaluate players is. <laughs> What would Greg Popovich do? Oh my God. And and that's my case for Conley. If if Greg Popovich had a choice to add either Mike Conley or even say Russell Westbrook, I think Pop would go Conley. Yeah. And so that that's kind of uh, my personnel evaluation, and that's why I've been so high why? on him. Is is I just think he's a winning point guard. He has no weaknesses. He uh, he elevates whoever's around him, no matter what kind of supporting cast, whether it's Tony Allen and non shooters, or whether it's Marcus Gasol now learning how to shoot and their new supporting cast. No matter what the roster looks like, Mike Conley is just a perfect point guard that makes all the pieces click. I often thought when during the Green Grind era, like, I love Mike Conley. What would happen if Mike Conley got to play in a style that was like Damian Lillard back in the day? Or sort of this, like, he's the a real offensive focal point. You don't feel like he's got to operate in what's the worst, what's the lowest gear? Across? First. Not first gear, but, like, what's, what's the highest gear? Oh, oh like... 
like fifth? third gear versus fifth gear. I don't whatever. This First. is a bo- <laughs> this is a botched analogy. You didn't feel I've, like you kind of. I've had never to... driven a stick shift. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Full transparency. <laughs> Neither have I. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> What's that thing in the car? Let's stick to sports, man. <laughs> or he's, uh, he, w- he wouldn't have to sort of operate within the sort of spacing parameters of the grit and grind. There was something about how he kind of played that role. And what would happen if he actually got to play in sort of a more open system? And that's mm-hmm. sort of what we've seen over the last two years, yeah. honestly. No, it's fun to watch it play out. You like to see a guy like Connolly get his due, not just by guys like Alex and yourself, but, you know, like when they can take two of the first three games against arguably the teams with the two top records that you would have projected for the season in Houston mm-hmm. and the Warriors, uh, and do so 103-91 against the Pelicans, I'm sorry, 111-101 against the Warriors, and 98-90 against the Rockets. Holding the Rockets to 90 points is like, that's not going to happen many times this season. No. You know, I, I don't Even know. Even with Chris Paul injured. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and the, the Chris Paul injury thing is unfortunate for, like, the flow of the Rockets team this year and how they kind of learned to play together, but that's still a team fully capable of scoring points. So, um, an interesting thing. There's another 3-0 team, Mike. You may have heard of them. They, <laughs> there's two of them, actually, but uh, this specific one plays um, in the Washington, D.C. area. You notice how <laughs> I'm not going gaga over a couple wins on, oh, like, don't, Sixers don't, fans? Don't do this. I've <laughs> act like you've been <laughs> there before. Yeah, we have been here before compared to you guys. Firmly sure. entrenched on the high horse, Mike yeah. Prater. <laughs> You guys can't see it. Mike's three and a half feet above me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but all right, and so, growing. And growing. So talk me through the uh, emergence of Kelly Oubre, which seems to be the, the talking point so far for the Wizards. Yeah, we got a question about Kelly Oubre, yep. uh, which is great. Yeah, no, I mean, they're 3-0. I thought their first two wins were sort of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really inspire a ton of confidence for me. They thought they weren't really defending at a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they don't have Markeith Morris, so they're starting Kelly Oubre, who's gone off to a really strong start. The game in Denver last night, uh, recording this on a Tuesday, I thought was a really important litmus test for both teams. I thought, given some of the things that they needed to work on, I thought the Wizards needed to prove that they could really lock down a team that has a scoring pedigree, whereas Denver, I think their offense has been kind of choppy all season. You wanted to see if they could snap out of that. It was sort of a really good like kind of measuring stick for mm-hmm. both teams. And I thought the Wizards passed the test. They played great defense after the second quarter. Ubre. So far this year, he is averaging not a ton of points, but he's averaging 38%, issuing 38% on threes, which is on, by the way, on five point, or not five point eight possession, but on like four a game, mm-hmm. 4.3. Uh, he's playing 35 minutes a game. Uh, he started two games, so he's playing a lot of minutes. And if he can do that, I mean, we talked about this at the beginning of the year, like the most dangerous lineup or four man combination they have is when they play Wall, Beal, Porter, and Uber. And by the way, Porter's scorching the Nets yep. early in the season. Yep. Play doesn't, a lot get, of, doesn't get enough shots. I, I would like to like, see Porter get more shots. I think, yeah, I would too, but he yeah. also is, you know. He, he knows his role, yeah. He knows yeah. the role, and it's yeah. like part of part of creating shots is a skill. Like and, For sure, for you sure. Know, if you can create shots. It I is think, nice to play with John Wall, though. That's, yeah, that's always I mean, helpful. but Porter right now, this Porter is just like on fire mm-hmm. uh, this year. He's shooting... Uh, 51% from the field. He's 38% on threes. He's 57% on twos. He had a rough first game, but has been amazing since then. And look, he's a four in these lineups. And yeah. he was guarding Paul Millsap. He did, I think, a really good job last night. And Ubre is playing the wing. That's sort of where you get those both of those players in their best spot. It's just a matter of is Ubre up for the challenge. Sure. 
you look at the way he's defended, the way he's shooting. I love that he took – I think he's, his handle has gotten a lot better and his finishing. He had this one play against Philly that I was really encouraged by where he kind of drove right past Robert Covington on a closeout for an and one. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, man, Kelly Oubre didn't make that move last year. Yeah. So if you can keep this up, now you suddenly have a team where their most potent lineup is suddenly – I mean, that's a really tough lineup to stop if you can keep shooting threes. Yeah. They can defend – better. I think they play a lot better defensively when he's in the game like that. Now you're getting somewhere interesting. I guess we have to see if it keeps up. Well, So this is great because this this moves me into the the question that Bo Schwartz-Madison sent us, and we always appreciate when Bo sends us questions. They're always thoughtful, smart. We like using them. So he says, are there any teams where three, four games have been enough for you to seriously reevaluate your expectations? So I want to open that up a little bit too here. Which oh, is, that's interesting. Which is this, which is obviously expectations have changed a little bit for maybe Boston. Yeah, Boston doesn't count. Right, because <laughs> of the injury. Which, yeah. by the way, I said this to my friend. I said, I would rather, and guys, I'm being facetious, but oh, there's a part of this which is true. I'd rather watch Hayward's injury on loop than watch... Fultz shoot a free throw. Okay, no, but let's let's not get carried away I, here. No, it's there's a little bit of truth to that. <laughs> no, I couldn't. No, I literally couldn't watch the TV when Hayward's in. No, it was happened. horrible. I know, I know. It, that made me physically ill f- on an emotional level for him, and and on a physical level for. I mean, him, you watch Ben Simmons shoot the ball. Surely you can't be that ridiculous, that I, like kind of weirded out by Fultz's shooting form. No, no, I am. I I had already mentally. Here we go. See how we do this again in the Sixers. I'd already gotten prepared for Ben Simmons to shot his shot to be. Uh, part of the negative yeah. aspects, the only negative aspect of his game, really. The the Bolts thing was the reason we drafted him. But okay. anyhow. Do you buy that it's just the shoulder is the reason why? I hope so, man. I, I think so. I yeah. He'll get it corrected. You can see that off. he won't extend it. It doesn't go up. It right. just goes forward. You so, would think then that they would maybe shut him down. Though. You would think that, I, Mike. I don't quite you would think Anyway, that. we're not talking well, about We'll, we'll get a clear anymore. answer from the Sixers organization, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, let's get to this question that Bo sent us here. So with that in mind and with what we were just talking about with Boston, and with, I'm sorry, with uh, Washington, are your expectations different for them? And then give me a couple other teams. Um, and Alex, actually, you take this first. Mike already kind of laid it out. Well, f- for me, we already we already covered Memphis, but they're the yeah. biggie for me, especially yeah. without arguably their third best player. Um, so what would your expectation be for them now? What was it and what would it be? So I, I always thought they would at least sneak into the bottom of the playoff seven or eight seed. And now I think they have as good a chance to to finish with the with home court advantage in the first round wow. as anyone. Really? Wow. I do. Like, I, I think you got Golden State, San Antonio, Houston. Mm-hmm. After them. Does this lead us to another team where your expectations have been moved? Is that Oklahoma, Oklahoma City? City? Oklahoma City, I I always thought uh, that they were a little overhyped. I thought Carmelo Anthony was subtraction by addition. I don't think he's going to fit well with Russell Westbrook. Wait, I've, I've heard the uh, opposite term, <laughs> but I've never heard subtraction by addition. Yeah. Oh, okay. Does like it that. still work? Is this like, uh, what do they call, uh, what do they call it when... <laughs> Here comes another analogy we're not good at. <laughs> Why am I like having trouble calling it with this? Where it's like the transitive property where like... If you do the phrase the other way, it means something different Dude, for, like, a positive. But if it's a negative number, it doesn't. A double negative? No, never mind. <laughs> this, this is, like, on the tip of my... I took math numbers in the real world in college. I did poorly on it. So it's, it's about for as The transitive as property. Sure, transitive property. Um, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Sure. So in that case here, with Memphis's expectations <laughs> going up, Oklahoma City's expectations have gone down for you. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on, though. Yeah. Okay, I, I admit... That Oklahoma City has been a little shaky to start the year. I'm not in love with how their offense looks. I knew it would be a challenge to integrate those, yeah. but early returns, I, I don't really get the sense that they've like figured out even sort of the baseline of a structure to make them all work together. They're all just chucking shots. Right. But if Andrew Wiggins isn't banking a three at the buzzer, they're still 
what, two and one with a tough loss to Utah? Also moving screen step by well, Towns. That, yeah. that goes both ways, though. What if Melo misses that three at the end? Well, Melo was wide open. That's true. <laughs> like, That's true. Like, Melo, Andrew Wiggins' shot was much more unrealistic uh, and low percentage he, than... Um, of course. Than Cardinal Four, Anthony's. 40-foot top of the key bank is not a shot you practice. Right. Um, right. So if that happens, and then they've got, what, one really tough loss to a Jazz team that I think is a really tough matchup for them, given Gobert. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you they this. They crushed the Knicks in opening night. Let me I, ask you this. I can't think of a team, though, that has ever had two guys with strong reputations as ball stoppers that have had much success. Well, they have three. Eh, I wouldn't call Paul George a ball uh, stopper. See, I think Paul George has got, like, a little bit Circumstantially, he was last year. I feel like yeah. Paul George has got a little bit of the like kind of we need to unlearn some bad shooting habits, ball 100%. stopping habits. He's taking some wacky ass shots. Pull up long twos in transition. You're like, not no, yeah. No. <laughs> Last year in Indiana, sure, no one was watching. Um. <laughs> so I worry about them, but their defense is still really good. Like yeah. I don't think it's. I think it's a little early to. You know, the actually the team that I think is actually interesting to think about is in that discussion now is Minnesota. If Wiggins can keep playing like this. They haven't had the most impressive start, but I feel like some of the that's yeah. sort of the big key to their season. Y'all know how I feel about sure. Wiggins. But isn't this isn't yeah we do? So isn't this? Uh, in fact, I'm glad I have both of you here because you feel <laughs> uh, differently. Because uh, Alex has always felt differently about Wiggins than, than Mike, more positive than than Mike. Um, all right, so but I feel like we knew this. I feel like going into this, we had talked about right. how the West is going to be really tight and there's going to be some feeling out. We did kind of place Oklahoma City as the fourth best team. That's obviously open for interpretation now. Utah is going to have their mark on a lot of teams this year. Um, mm-hmm. There's just I look at the West as like um, <laughs> I'll use like a, an analogy I think our listeners would would like. We're all laden with shitty analogies so far, so I'll try to use a better Sounds one. Sounds about right. But basically, the West to me is like one of those Jean Claude Van Damme movies, okay? <laughs> Where you have all these different people that are in a fighting tournament, and they all have different disciplines, and then you get to watch the sumo guy fight the karate guy, and you got the kickboxer who's fighting like the jujitsu person. So whatever. who's who's the sumo guy? The well, jazz, the jazz sumo of the guy? sumo guy, exactly. <laughs> See, thank you. Let's see how we can do this. And like your little fast. So the, then the Blazers are the jujitsu guy. Uh. No, 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 I would go. The Blazers are more like the uh, like the freestyle f- like fighter who has you know, okay. very little discipline. Maybe um, the Grizzlies are the jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not like trying that. to match these up. Yeah, but like that's the point though. Is like we knew there were going to be stylistic, interesting matchups every single night in the West. I mean, we throw Denver into the mix. The Washington and Denver Clippers. played a really interesting game. Clippers for sure with Point Blake back now. Um, you know, we haven't mentioned that, you know, Portland is figuring things out. They're getting better play from their bench than I think, I think we Portland's expected. Portland's pretty good, to be honest. Yeah. And they, so they were, you know, they were one tough loss in the second night of the back-to-back to right. the honest storm. I and think so, like, that's who can, fine. Who can you really count out in the West? There's, like, three or four teams right. who I could say are definitively bad. I think Sacramento, Phoenix, the Lakers. And Dallas. And Dallas, Dallas. Are, the, are the teams who are, are bad. And then there's teams like the Pelicans who aren't playing well, but, like, you don't want to. You just don't want to have to play those guys. Like, there's nothing mm-hmm. fun about playing Boogie and and uh, yeah. and uh, Anthony Davis if you're an opposing team, and and they have they do put that on you. Like, right. you know, it's it's um it's very fascinating to watch the West play out. There's so much skill. Um, so, so going back to the original question, yeah. who has changed your expectations of the better? Alex, you think it's Memphis? Is there any other team where it's like three to four games in, you're like, mm, I might have misread these guys? Um, not so much that, but I'll go the other way where Clippers are starting to get a little bit of hype, yeah. and uh, and I'm I'm bullish that they are not that good. Interesting. I, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. Um and uh, yeah, I think I think this early hype will fizzle out and is kind of unjustified. They like, have played <laughs> two of the garbage, the yeah. worst. They played the Lakers, and then the Suns, who just like I don't know. I haven't seen a team mail in an early season game so like that they, in a long time. So, like, so they have yet to play an NBA team. So where do the yeah. where do the Kings fall in that though? If they just lost to the 
to the Suns. I mean, like I mean, the, the these Kings teams are, are all crappy. crappy teams, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Um, yeah it, it's interesting. Like th- th- there's, uh, I'll give you a team who I was lower on, but now I'm kind of just like obviously I should have pegged them for 48 wins, which is Toronto. Yeah, I was going to say that point as they well. need to fall off the mountain of basically being between 47 to 50 wins in the East every year, but. It just looks like there won't be the proper amount of competition to push them off of it. Yeah, I think I think they're just a good regular season team yeah. who's just not built for the playoffs. Yeah. Well, here's what I like about them because I was going to mention Toronto too. Uh, they one of the big questions we had about them was that they lost a lot of depth mm-hmm. last year. That was sort of my big thing during that preview. Uh, I said, yeah, okay, they they still have the same guys, but like they don't have Patterson, they don't have Tucker, they don't have Corey Joseph, but. They have started their young guys have really looked pretty good. Like Powell is starting, but you're also talking Delon Wright's off to a really good start. OG Ananobi. Yeah. Really good player. Sure. Really promising he player. Was a, a steal, I'm putting up air quotes, but like he was a guy who was much more highly touted out of college than right. what he was picked. And Pirtle looks really nice so far. Um they have started, you know how like they used to always play Lowry in that bench unit, and that was sort of how they killed teams. Right. They've started to play all second unit. Kind of do the all bench thing like Scott Brooks does, and for much less, much more successful. <laughs> and we know how you like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. they're playing right. They're playing Fred Van Fleet uh, and CJ Miles. It's basically CJ Miles and the kids, uh, Van Fleet and Anobi uh, and Pirtle with CJ Miles. Those lines are doing quite well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they took it to the Spurs with that lineup, and they took it to uh, Philadelphia with that lineup. Yeah. If that continues to be the case, and those guys can keep up the consistency, I just think they play really well together. They're tight defensively. They move the ball in a way that I think the first unit still yeah. doesn't. And then you toss sprinkle into Rosen's ability to score, and Lowry, I think, will start to get it going. Now the problems we thought we had with them are sort of not there anymore. So then they're back to being what we just described. I right. do yeah. I do think they need to move Valanciunas. Um, I think the kid behind him, he's, he's been playing well. And, yeah, it just feels like maybe maybe flip him for, like, a wing. I don't think he really fits well there anymore. And, and he's a guy... Valanciunas is another guy where, like, we'll see what the market dictates for a, a big center who needs the ball in his hands and right. doesn't play much D. So, like, it's, see, I feel like you can't get any good ways yeah. for that. I feel like all you really can do is, like, with all these centers is just flip them for yeah. other centers. It's and, sort of like, remember that point, exactly. big point guard trade a few years ago? It's, it's the Mozgov, you know, Lopez thing. It's like, this yeah. is how this works. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's super frustrating to see, like, I'll give you a guy. Nolan's Noel could help a good team. He's not being used by Dallas. I think he's an exceptional defensive player. He's not happy about it either. You yeah, see what he yes. told Tim Cato, our friend? <laughs> what was that? What was that? He was talking about uh, you know, how he feels like he can really help, and he, he, nobody told him he wasn't going to play the that much. The numbers show that he helps. He's yeah. a reasonable facsimile to Tyson Chandler. He can finish yeah. lobs. He'll play good D. Yeah. Uh, that type of player is a good fit next to Dirk. Dirk should not be playing <laughs> however many minutes he's playing at center. I think, yeah. yeah, I mean, the problem is sort of that it's not just Dirk, it's a Harrison Barnes is probably yes. better as mm-hmm. a four, and Wes Matthews is better as a three, and so either... All of their guards are tiny, so yeah, there's a so lot you of gotta exposure either, there. You gotta yeah. either play Dirk at, at yeah. off the bench, or like, you kind of have to make a choice. What's weird is that he's losing miss to Dwight Powell, too, which mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. So anyway, I mean... Yeah, back, let me get back, into one more question here. This kind of this will end this yes, part of the segment here. Yes. Um, is there any other team well, that Colin Sallow asked us sustainability of the undefeated teams? Wizards winning uh, actually convincing question mark. Memphis looks awesome. Spurs are Spursing. Spurs yeah. we have not talked about. Spurs to get to them. Yeah, undefeated right now, doing it in without Kawhi. Leonard. <laughs> without Kawhi, doing it with a number of guys who are seeing their first legitimate NBA consistent time in Murray and Anderson. Can we talk about Dejounte Murray? Yeah, a little go bit? for it. Fifteen rebounds last night. Yo, what, what do you know about Dejounte Murray, yeah. Washington? I, I feel Go like dogs. I just teed this up for you <laughs> yeah. as a big Washington fan. Like, 
I, when we've had the Spurs podcast season, and, and, what is, and what is that going to mean for Tony Parker when he comes back? Because between Mills and Murray, they're better. Yeah, right. I mean, the other thing. So they play. What I love about them is that they. I think they've. This is going to be like kind of my deep league pass thought of the week, and we can talk about this deep idea. I feel like the Spurs. A lot of what they've done over the last couple of years, we're looking and sort of scratching our heads, like, okay. They have Kawhi, like, aren't they going to do something big to him? Like, they're just keeping Aldridge, keeping Powell, like, just kind of drafting, getting younger. They feel like they're sort of kind of going, stopping in place, and are they going to waste Kawhi's plan? I feel like we've had these sort of questions. And one of the things that I, we always, the credos is always like, you know, yeah, trust those guys. They know what they're doing. And the more I watch them play, the more I think that they've uncovered a, I would say, like, a, in Moneyball terms, they've kind of uncovered a structural what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, market inefficiency, which is that the thirtieth pick is about as good as like okay. the twelfth. Not quite that. I'm, I'm thinking more granular. Okay, go ahead. I think they've discovered that what's undervalued in this league is clamp pests on the perimeter defensively, where we've talked a lot about rim protection and having the really good dominant big guy there and. Mm-hmm. But as I watch the Spurs, I mean, when you th- consider Murray, Kawhi, Danny Green, Patty Mills and Manu play this way, uh, Kyle Anderson, these are guys that when you run these high pick and rolls, they not only are just sticking to you so that you can never really get ahead of steam, and then that allows their big guys to stay back and they just kind of squeeze you in the mid-range. But they're also super big for their positions. Like Murray's got a seven-foot wingspan. Danny Green's really long. Kawhi's really long. Anderson's like 6'8". Six, six, so yeah. Rudy Gay's fit in really well. Yeah, he has. But I, I, yeah, for sure. And I think they, what they figured out is that in an era where instead of looking at it as we've got to get like guys you can switch, and that's great, what we really need is like kind of guards that just make running the pick and roll like a pain in the ass. Yep. And I think if you're thinking about how they kind of go ahead, like it's still – those skills are still pretty undervalued, and I – I'm beginning to think that as they looked at the league and they said, what can we, how do we zag where other people are zigging? Like that to me feels like where they've identified the marketing efficiency. Joffrey Laverne is playing well for them. It God. doesn't matter what bigs they have. Almost. Yeah, I mean, but like Pau Gasol like, suddenly yeah. looks like an amazing rim protector. And I think a big part of it is that I think you're right, yeah. they have these guards that are just like in your, like they're just, get, watch the way they deny the ball also like off screens. Like it's just really hard. They make it so that you're running your plays a step or two further away than you want, a stepper a second or two slower than you want, and it takes a little bit more time to get to get when you run a pick and roll to get the guard off your hip. Yep. And then they also, of course, kind of never give up on the play. Therefore, they never have to make rotations. And they're going to add Kawhi back into this team. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Murray is, like, super interesting to me is that he's the epitome, I think. that they're, They didn't go get a point guard this summer. It's a big bet on Murray. Mm-hmm. Murray personifies, I think, this sort of way of how they want to play where yeah. he's super long. He's such a clamp defender. He's so such a pest, uh, and he's not necessarily like this great offensive finished product. But he's just he covers so much ground, so that when he's guarding your best player, his arms are just a little bit longer and a little bit more in your face. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how they're going to build their team. I don't know. I just he, think, he almost reminds me of George Hill a little bit that way. And nobody's a bigger fan of George Hill than Pop. So yeah, <laughs> but he's also I mean he's longer than George. Like George yes. Hill. Yeah. He's not an offensive player that George Hill is, but he's like kind of supersized for his position. I think that's sort of the the significant thing about him. When when opposing point guards work their way around a screen, they feel Murray's long arms behind him, and he, yeah. he's able to always cause disruption. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. It makes the court 
a less fun place to be when there are multiple six eight guys everywhere. Um, a, it's just smaller. There's yeah. just le- I mean, the name of the game is space and how to exploit it. Yeah, and they just like they. The collective is this sort of like what Milwaukee would want to do, but they have this different defensive system for it. But the Spurs do it in a totally different way. But it's the same principle. Like if you just have arms in more places and you just like are kind of always there, you know, it, yeah. it's harder to to play this sort of kind of aggressive uh, open court style. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited because when I think uh, I think when Kawhi comes back, I think he's going to play a lot more four, which Popovich has always been hesitant to do in past years, but. Uh, that's just the strength of their team. I think they got to play Pow less, and they added Rudy Gay, so uh, I think they're going to be spreading the floor more, and I'm excited to see how they implement Kawhi. Yeah, and, and the blessing, you know, in disguise here, obviously, is Aldridge is getting the run to be the guy right now. Yeah, He's getting his confidence back, too. and you're just going to add a, a a great player, one of the best players in the NBA, to a team of guys who mm-hmm. are confident and, and, and finding their own roles, and it's important. To Alex's point, they played a lineup late in the game against Toronto the other day where they had... Uh, DeJounte Murray, they had Kyle Anderson, Danny Green, uh, Brandon Paul is another one of these like super long kind of pesky wings. Fighting Illini? And, and they had Aldridge and, you know, subbing Kawhi for, uh, Kawhi for, or Rudy, Kawhi for, uh, you know, Brandon Paul. And that is the closing lineup that is going to be so hard to score on. So they've already indicated based on who they're playing, that yeah. they are willing to go small more often. I mean, they kind of have to. They don't have enough big guys yeah. on their team. The days of playing Tiago Splitter and Tim Duncan at the same nah. time, those are done. It's like, that wasn't even long. The like, irony <laughs> is, is that there's a, a common thread there, which is Ginobili was still on that team, and uh, they were playing against LeBron James. So yes. it's funny how it's still, as things <laughs> change, so much stays uh, the same. Um, let's, let's talk, uh, we, we do a segment, we did this over the... Um, over the previews, which was like a, a marry, you know. Do marry kill. Do marry kill, but we did max play trade. Um, we're going to do that with just like confidence now. It's not actually are we trading this player. Yeah. In fact, a lot of these like pairings. Based on the first week of the season, yep. you max the one you think the train is sustainable. You play to it when you're not sure, and you trade, quote unquote, yeah, the, the one, one, you're, the one you're that, selling. You know, that you're not really Sure, yeah. it's going to continue. So let's, let's use uh, three guys who have been topical already right now. Um, and Alex, I'll give this to you first. That's Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Marcus Gasol. All three are off to great starts. So are their teams. What's real? What's fake? What, what, are, you, what are you looking at? So this this one's kind of easy for me. I, I definitely would give the max to Marcus Gasol. Um, I think he and Giannis are so far the the the, the highlights of this young NBA season. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait on LaMarcus. Um, that extension they just gave him surprised me a little bit. I'd want to see a little bit more. And then... Uh, and then and then I trade Blake because I've never been as big a Blake fan as most people. There's been a large sample of games he has missed for the Clippers, and they have never really been worse without him. Hmm. So he doesn't move the needle a whole lot to me, and so he would definitely be the guy I look to trade. You don't think that he's taken 11 threes this year already in two games, so he's taking five and a half threes a game, made six of them. You don't think that there isn't, like, this is finally, we're finally seeing him, like, actually embrace this element of his game. You know, you don't think that um, that is a bit of a game changer. In it's some it's true. It, it is his first time playing without a, a domineering force like Chris Paul since his rookie year. Um, and, and I do like his game, how it's evolving, and maybe this year will be different. But just based on the large sample of work I've seen, he doesn't, he doesn't move the needle to me as much as most guys that have max contracts and are known as superstars around the league. Hmm. This three-point thing is kind of interesting, though. Yeah, if he actually can 
shoot threes, which I feel like we've been talking about for like years. The last year he did shoot 113 threes. What, you, what percentage he shoot? He shot about 34 percent. It's not bad. No, I think if he can get up to like a good 38, 39 percent from three, and now with the way he's playing, he's now able to handle the ball more. Yeah, he can kind of be more versatile. Like now, I mean, I guess the big question is: Is he going to stay healthy the whole time? But if he can do that, then I think you know this starts to become a little more interesting. Yeah, you know, I've been impressed by how freely he's firing away. I mean, the six for eleven, whatever. But like five and a half, he has played some crap teams. But this yeah. is this is more of a tailor made role for him, facilitating the offense more through him. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll. I mean, it's only two games so far. We'll see how it develops. But uh, uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of how uh, I feel there. Blake excites me with the ball. Like he's one of the players in the NBA that I still think you. I don't, know, I don't hate to use that cliche, but like you pay to watch Blake play. Not he's, he's, more, though. No, I, mean, I still think I think in this role he is. Like I love the distributing, I don't know, playmaking ball in hand. Blake Griffin is better than the one who gets the ball with six seconds left from Chris Paul, or you know, is having a game where he's not even really a part of the offensive flow. Like an engaged Blake Griffin, and it's hard to say because he's played against Phoenix and the Lakers, and it's not really a great barometer for his success for the whole season, but. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, wait on Blake. I'm gonna trade Lamarcus Aldridge and uh, I guess max out Marcus All for now. But you know, look, part of that's because Marcus All is a three point shooter now. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that's you know, what there, he does. there's no like speculation about what he will become. As a, he's a good three point shooter. He's a you know, plus defender, great passer. I also think he's just again, it's sort of like what we talked about earlier. Fizdale, they 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 are playing more aggressively and mm-hmm. less sort of like kind of deferring to the team. There was a play. In the Houston game where he had, I think, Harden posted up on a switch, and I think in the past he would have kind of backed him down slowly yep. and waited for the double. and uh, But, he no, he just hit him with a really quick baseline spin for a dunk, and I feel like that's a, a sign of uh, growth in Fizdale's influence where yep. it's like, no, you're the guy. Like, you got to start acting like it. Yeah. Um, so, other, yeah. other hypothetical, um, <laughs> Alex Put this in the Slack channel. Okay, yeah. Was was can we night. talk about Giannis yeah. already? Let's, let's, get, let's, get, like, let's get to Giannis. It's, it's, it's been, been 40 minutes and we still haven't yeah. talked about him. Um, pose the hypothetical and we'll go from there. So, for the Washington Wizards, would you rather have Giannis added to the team or Joel Embiid with a guarantee of full health added to the team? What is full health? I think we said like 72 games. 72, or 75 games, 35 minutes a game. Yeah. To the Wizards? Yeah. Well, I think it would be for, for almost any team. I think it would still be honest because the only thing, though, is that <laughs> I like, like that you said he, for the Wizards, by the way, it makes for, him, uh-huh. <laughs> for like the thing about the way the Bucks play is that Giannis is the guy, and it's almost like you need everybody to sort of let him do his thing. Like he, the whole reason that he's emerged is that they finally put the ball in his hands, and now you're seeing the results, and it's just breathtaking, and all it, these things. It looks and we can easy t- for him. Yeah, we can talk a yeah. long time about how he plays and what. Well, what have like, you seen from Giannis right now? We'll get we'll get into the actual debate between Embiid and and in that hypothetical. Well, I was going to say I would pick Embiid only because I think the Wizards need his skill set a little more than Giannis, but yeah. they're, they're both amazing. And, uh, and I think he would be a bigger upgrade over Marcin Gortat <laughs> than Giannis right. would be over like Markeith Morris. That's that's a good point too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, base level team, a a called forty one and forty one NBA team who's looking to make the jump. Yeah, it's impossible to – there probably isn't a guy in the NBA you'd pick over Giannis. In fact, if you're you know, getting NBA future stock right now, his stock is as high as anybody at his age has ever been in the NBA 
historically. So here's I've always been a huge fan of his. You know, you that. Have, what yeah. is what is changed for you guys? Like what what is what do you most yeah. what is most sort of so popped out to you early on? So I'll admit I had been a little bit skeptical of Giannis because I think if you're a wing who can't shoot, your ceiling is only so high. But there's two problems with that. One is he's not even really a wing. He's right. he's positionless. He's an amoeba. Yep. Um and then the other is that if you're so good at every other element of basketball, that becomes irrelevant. Like, yeah, most non-shooters, you can just lay off of them and take away whatever avenues they have of scoring. That doesn't work with Giannis. He'll yeah. still power his way to the rim. So, In a lot of ways, he does it more easily because yeah, he's giving him the space. It, yeah. It's funny you mention that because, you know, and this is, again, I'm not trying to bring us into the Sixers conversation, but... With Ben Simmons, yeah, it's, it's, it's slightly similar. Um, and you see people lay off, but a guy like Giannis is like, thank you for those two feet. I'm going to take five feet now. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you can't do that to him. It just makes him one dribble away from being at the rim or finding the open man. And, like, one of the things that's most impressive for me um, is how he's reintegrated with Middleton. They did not play much together last year, but they're incredibly down the important. Stretch, down the stretch yeah, of the season. Like they did 20 games they played? 25 yes. games maybe? Uh, probably less than that. I have yeah. to double check. Right. And so like now you're seeing like what that means to have those two together. Defensively, they're a nightmare for everyone. Um, if and they play the right yeah. style, which is still <laughs> up in the air. And, like, did you, you, did you, you could go feature? coach instead of Jason Kidd. Then maybe they'd be in a better place. I did read, thought, think it was interesting. I think it was a Kevin Arnovitz feature. It was talking about how the Bucks. one thing they do is they basically track the average um, speed of a pass that teams make so they want to make it so that you loft your passes more slowly because you have to kind of lift it over the length and that's sort of what the foundation of how they defend is is that they're trying to force you to just kind of not throw bullet passes mm-hmm. and they actually track and they say yeah the average length of the pass was or speed of the pass was this that means we were doing a good hmm. job that's interesting. Uh, which I thought was interesting but um, I'm still I still would rather I think they overdo their defensive stuff a lot what I will say though one of the things that I think we can talk all about Giannis's offense, and we will, but defensively, that dude is like suddenly now this be- amazing rim protector. Like he is basically the sweeper of that defense with the way I think it really started when Middleton came back and he kind of essentially played the nominal power forward on mm-hmm. defense. He's well, basically, you know, I mean, he, if you think about how big he is, it makes sense, but he's basically like kind of the, the help defender that sweeps stuff up. I mean, you saw that block he had at the end of the Blazers game. His arms are like Michael Jordan making the game-winning dunk from half-court in Space Jam. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you not be an awesome room protector? Right. And they actually, but they actually use them, though. They don't look yeah. at it and they say, oh, this guy should be a lockdown defender on the wing. Like, they have now basically used him defensively like a big guy. Like, he does not cover the top wing threats. Yeah, which is probably good in general for the guy. I don't know. You want him to be around. You want him to be able to, to get the rebound and go. Like, it right. all feeds to the same we'll, complex. We'll which save is, some energy. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like that was a big, subtle difference that happened even over the course of the last season. Yeah. As you saw him start to become that sort of player and th- be thought of less as, like, a, you know, we want this guy guarding uh, yep. the LeBrons of the world and more as, like, uh, more of the swooper in. Yeah, and this is this is something that we're, we're integrating a bunch of uh, – New segments this year. We'll get to the Bendettas later. That's where I just get mad at stuff. But now we have a segment for it. Um, but one of the things we wanted to talk about was, we'll call it Prada's picks, but it's basically league trends. And, and I wanted to, to get Mike's opinion on this because it seems now that the grab-and-go is the thing. You, you can't just be a big anymore. you got to be a big who can run the fast break. Yeah. We've been seeing a lot of it this year. Giannis is sort of like the 
I don't know, the uber version of that. Like, he's not a big, he's not a guard like we just mentioned, but he grabs and goes, and it's like four dribbles. But you see Boogie Cousins do it now. You mm-hmm. All these different bigs around it's the league. It's kind of hilarious to watch the Pelicans. Uh, so give the me Pelicans. your grab and go. No, yeah. The Pelicans are kind of hilarious because what happens is they get the <laughs> rebound, and, like, literally everybody, like, runs as far away from Boogie and yeah, it's like, as it's possible. It's like his possession. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then they just sort of totally invert everything. I think the thing you have to keep in mind with this trend is that there are two, a few things happening at once here. First of all, more people are shooting longer shots, which means you're getting longer rebounds. So there are fewer of those sort of guys right under the basket, and you actually have to make the outlet pass to the point guard who's actually standing not under the basket. Mm-hmm. There's just something about the way the, the floor is, is that the rebound just bounces to the spot where the outlet passer used to be. Right. And I'm not saying the outlet passes are dead. I'm just saying so there's some of that going on. Uh, and then... Even so, you still have certain players that are grabbing those rebounds. There are also more skilled players playing up front. You know, you, you have more of your Simmonses, your, even your James Johnsons. Mm-hmm. It's another kind of big grab-and-go type of player where it's like it's almost inefficient. If that guy can has already grabbed the rebound, he's already 18 feet up the court. You know, he's already – he's got the skill point guard-wise to be able to dribble – why would you like waste time passing the ball to point guard unless it was an advantageous situation? You sure. may as well not. And so now I think you're seeing some teams like the Pelicans basically make it their game plan so that they just kind of cut out the outlet pass and they yeah. just they get into their normal offense with their big guy initiating it. Because if you think about a half court set, a lot of these sets are initiated anyway by the sort of lag pass yeah. to the big guy. So you're just you're basically cutting out the middleman. Now there are some teams that still get the ball to their point guard mostly, and they don't want their bigs doing that. I'm not saying that every team is like this, but I think you're seeing it, this the mix of two things is starting to become more to the point where it is actually super valuable to be able to track the players that can snag the long rebounds and swoop in and then just go. I mean, he's not a big, but Russell Westbrook is the poster child for yep. this. That's like basically he cut off the middle person mm-hmm. in the Thunder's fast break, and you know he scores so much more efficiently in transition than you do in a half-court yep. set. And so the, the combination of there's less distance to travel, there's more skilled players on the floor, you, you lead to this scenario where now big guys are actually, in some cases, they should grab and just, like, dribble the ball up the court. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't just, like, kind of go find a guard. Yeah. Yeah. Not, we but, saw that even from Dwight Howard in the preseason oh, going yeah, coast to coast. So if Dwight whole... Howard's doing it, then, then yeah. that's D- the new NBA. Dwight had a crazy Dwight Howard box score last night. It was, like, 24 boards and, like, Oh, for nine from the free throw line. That sounds like uh, <laughs> that sounds like a game against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was a pretty good game actually. Um, the other stat from that game too, and I'm sure you guys saw this going around, but like with Kemba Walker on, Walker on the court, the Hornets are like a plus one of or one hundred four net I or something, and like a ninety without him on. They, yeah, I think the this. worst net without a single player on the, of anybody in the NBA, like more uh, than who, James Harden. More can th- you name his backup right now? They have like no, four point guards hurt. Yeah, because Michael Carter Williams is injured. Can you name his backup? No, I can't. Well, so right, right now, wouldn't it be like Malik M- Monk? Monk? Yeah. Like yeah. playing out of position as a one? Yeah. Dwight, Dwight Howard? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's... Yeah, who needs the point guard? <laughs> <laughs> See? And to our point, cut out the middleman, uh, Dwight Howard. Um, all right, so a few guys we haven't uh, mentioned yet, and I'll, I'll do my bendetta right now, um, which is just the Phoenix Suns in general. Like, Ooh, you, you yeah, cannot, we haven't talked about this. You, you can't be this type of organization... Um, Number one. Wait, why don't you let, rewind? Like, mm-hmm. what, just so pe- in case people sure. have lived and living under a rock, what has happened to the Phoenix Suns in the last week? Uh, okay, so they got off to a bad start by losing by a, a net of 30 ish a game. They um, lost their first home game, the, the largest margin of victory 
in an opening night game to the Blazers. They lost by 48. Yeah, they were down by 50 at one point. At home with CJ McCollum not playing. Right, <laughs> which is incredible. Um, okay, so they, they, they fired C.J. Watson three games into the Earl start. Watson. Earl, sorry, C.J. Watson, <laughs> Earl Watson. Wow. Good, uh, good supersonic. Yeah, which know, is right? that, wow. By the way, not the slowest firing in league history event. Dolph Shays once got fired after one game. Oh, Sixers great. <laughs> and a, and a, 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 a member of the tribe. Um, That's right. Okay, with that, uh, by the way, two Jewish guys in the uh, World Series on opposing teams. First time since like the 60s. Yeah, Bregman and uh, Peterson. Uh, yeah, uh, figured Alex cool. would know that. Anyhow, uh-huh. not that, that matters. <laughs> just, you know, it doesn't. Um, but uh, so you get back to Phoenix real quick. So um, you have um, organizational upheaval from their quote unquote superstar. Although I guess you could argue Booker is supposed to be their best player. Talking about play- Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe is their so, franchise player. Let's run through this. So yeah. he he tweeted like, <laughs> "I don't want to be here no more." Basically yep. on Sunday, this is about an hour before Earl Watson was fired. Then Earl Watson got fired, and then. In a move that I felt like was embarrassing Bledsoe further, Ryan McDonough yeah, claimed that Bledsoe told him that, no, I was just talking about being at a hair salon. And Ryan McDonough knew that was not true. And he volunteered that information. First of all, like what? There's no way that Bledsoe told him he was at a, quote, hair salon. He would have used a different word <laughs> than a hair salon. So already the story is still sketchy to me. I just feel like, I mean, and to your point, like you want a vendetta about how they these this front office treats its players. Yes, yes, and also just this idea that they've put them in this incredible place to succeed and move forward, which they haven't. So it's like getting mad at the players is one thing. Lying about or making up or softening your side of the story when you have the pulpit is another. Players are never going to have that same type of credibility or advantage in these conversations, specifically younger guys who aren't, not that Bledsoe's that young, he's in his mid-20s now, but like not your bona fide superstars. You could take Tim Duncan's word for it. You could take LeBron's word for it. But the idea here that they want a power move on Bledsoe, he's basically out of the team now, which doesn't help their ability to trade him, which is another bonehead play by the management there. Um, they've created a, an infrastructure of entirely guys under 21 years old with a ton of redundancy at those positions. The timeline. Yeah, the timeline. The timeline. I mean, like, but so like, you, you look around the league and, like, there are teams who have done reboots or who are currently going through them, where you see kind of where they're going, why, why they're doing what they're doing. And they hired James Jones to oversee this. In, yeah, right. Another, well, s- which, which I feel like is a Hail Mary attempt to land LeBron next year. <laughs> which <laughs> right. Is, I mean, they did, they did try to get him t- in 2014. Yeah, but, but part of this is like Ryan McDonough is like 36 years old. Mm-hmm. He's um, older than that. No, he's, so 30, he's, 30, me, he's 36 years old. He is 36 years old. Okay. <laughs> and so like you have a guy who... You know, sometimes you think you know more than you do. And a big part of being a GM, I believe, is you know taking your licks and learning. Another part of that is understanding the value of your players because this is a players-driven league. And I think what he just showed to prospective players maybe next year in free agency, your, 20, uh, your 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, which are the core of this team right now, and, and Bender and Chris and Booker uh, and Jackson, um, is that this might not be a franchise that has a lot of loyalty to its players or to the future of where they're going. And so I think it just put all the wrong, you know, cards on the table and three games in. Christian used this, uh, um, you know, used this term, uh, he said mid-season coaching change. And it was like, well, it's I mean, it's, it's technically in season. Season. <laughs> the season has started. Yeah, the season did start, but it's like, yeah, yeah I mean, what are, what are we doing? So I, the idea that there's so much could change in three days it leads me to believe that they were in a, um, you know, a mode of upheaval before this even started. And, this, and this now it's just being exposed. Talk, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you blaming McDonough, but this is like an ownership thing. And 
to your point about it's the true. players, it's not like Eric Bledsoe is the first Suns player to kind of leave angrily. There yeah. was Goran Dragic, which they fired back on. There was Markeith Morris. Did you see Markeith Morris's tweet, by the way, after all this? Nope. Oh, I, I thought I thought this was pretty good. Um, I'm getting the exact language. But um, he said, uh, LOL, and they thought I was tripping. Happy I'm home. <laughs> That's awesome. So that tells you, I mean, like, players don't do that to other teams. Great tweet. Like, they, just the fact that he felt like he could tweet that. Um, so there was that. There was Isaiah Thomas, obviously. That whole situation was handled really Brandon poorly. Knight. Brandon Knight, another player. Like, I mean, it, as Tyson certain, Chandler. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can go down the list. But yeah, it's like, this is a, a franchise that was a proud, a good one. This was a good franchise, like a desirable place that guys like Shaq wanted to go later in their careers. That, you know, had an early 90s, uh, mid-2000s, like decade on decade, at least for, you know, the, the last uh, called modern era of the NBA basketball, post-80s, um, had success. And so to see them be so down now, without a clear blueprint, you know, like the Lakers will be better soon. I even think the Kings are making more logical decisions, although you could argue that they've made some pretty dumb ones, too. Well, I would say, here's the... This is uh, the thing that I, I always wonder about. Like, So the question obviously is, so we all agree that there's something rotten in that culture, but what exactly is the root of it? I think part of it is that on the one hand, they're saying we're going to be bad and we're going to rebuild and we're going to take our lumps and we're going to graph rookies and do all this stuff. On the other hand, I feel like, and I don't know this for a fact, but it sort of seems like it, that there is a lot of internal pressure from ownership to actually be relevant. Like it, they can't. They want to rebuild, but they can't really stomach, or the ownership can't really stomach the thought of like being bad for three years running or whatever it is, or taking your lumps or doing this the way that it needs to be done. And so I think just from there you get mixed messages from management and ownership. And so how are you supposed to be able to build a consistent culture that actually builds these guys up? I mean, you compare it to Sacramento. Sacramento's got its problems, but I think since they've traded Boogie, they have recognized that they need yeah. to create a a place that, you know, is nurturing to the rebuild. And so they're getting these, not only are they getting these veterans, but it feels like everybody's kind of on the same page. In Phoenix, it's sort of like there's too much pressure, I think, from ownership to be, for these guys to be able to skip steps and basically get to the point where you're suddenly, you play them all at the same time and then voila, they're going to be developed. And there's not a lot of care to how to do that uh, day to day, right. and I think there's, I think that's sort of the problem um, where you have so many players, and then like when it doesn't work out with these players, and they they wonder like what exactly is going on, where what's the plan, like what, where do I fit in, and all of these things. And there's not like some sort of organizing structure. Mm -hmm. They will lash out, and then some, and then instead of thinking like, oh, you, we've, this is the fourth player that has sort of lashed out on his way out. Maybe the problem is us. It's more, oh, there's another disgruntled player. We can't yeah. deal with it. We can't Just have that player. in our culture. <laughs> yeah. But like <laughs> at a certain point, the problem is that there is this sort of mixed accountability, whatever that's going on. Yeah, so yeah. that's a, the best way I could describe it. You know, I look at all those young players, and I just don't know like how many of them have actually improved since they got there. I mean, Booker obviously Booker, yeah. his reputation has improved, but I, he still has the same like sort of holes in his game that he did two years ago. He's passing a little more this year and trying to rebound. He doesn't a defend. No. He's still taking bad shots. No. He was sort of totally out of it in the Clippers game. Yeah, Marquise yeah, right. Chris, like, what is he better at than what he was when he started? What is Dragon Bender better at? T.J. Warren, yeah, they're all stuck in neutral. It's yeah, they, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Hey, they uh, have talent, like they're talented players. They pick well, you know. It's uh, just that they don't they don't take those raw skills and put them to any good use. I, there's a, I have a whole other like just 
not it's not even a theory, but like it's really hard to be a super young team in this league. It goes without saying. You, you lose a lot of games. These are generally speaking kids who have won a lot in their careers, their lives. We've talked about this in the podcast before. Also, all the Kentucky players. Yeah, like anybody who played for Kentucky probably likely lost a couple games their entire high school career. And look at look at who's on their team. Look it's, at the, the universities. Yeah, like all their guards. Yeah, and, and Kansas and Jackson's case. And, yeah. you know, I mean, Mark Chris, Chris probably knew how to lose a lot given that he went to uh, UW. But, um, yeah. uh, oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, no, the, the whole point is, like, it, it's – we I saw this with the Sixers for years, and and look, they're not a, a championship contender this year, but just the idea these guys are now in the mode of winning is important as opposed to I'm trying not to lose because I hadn't done that a lot in my career, and what it meant to like Joel Okafor's psyche, what it means to Chris's psyche, or uh, to to Devin Booker's like. It's important to, to remember how young and fragile these guys are and not place un, unfair maturity expectations as opposed to just physical expectations that we put on these guys. Um, but I, I do think that when you're in a league where there are such a great team, like a Warriors at the top, and there are lots of other extremely talented, maybe more in a singular way, like offensively for Houston or, um, uh, you know, or just LeBron in general or, what the, you know, playing against Memphis. Like being a, a team of 19, 20-year-olds and then going and playing Memphis, it probably sucks. Now, granted, you're in the same league. You're all getting paid the same amount of money. But, like, there is something on the mental side of this where you get down – you try to bury – it's like, you know, climbing out of quicksand. You push yourself further down. And so I'm seeing that a lot with Phoenix now, and I've seen it for a couple of years, and it manifests itself in disgruntled players, shitty ownership decisions, and crappy manager, uh, management decisions, yeah. and then ultimately blame just being displaced in a blanket as right. opposed to, like, with, a, a you know, a, um, a focus. I think about this with Okafor, too. It's just you have to build a benchmark of process where you're, you're at, on the one hand, you want people to stay confident and excited and sort of not get down. But on the other hand, you, and they work together, you don't want them to think like we, I'm going to be the greatest and I'm, I'm visualizing this. And so that when I don't get there, I've failed. And I think expectation management and sort of the push and pull of you got to kind of give them little benchmarks to hit slowly on the way up. And so they start to get, excited about playing the role that they play or excited right. about sort of that thing in Phoenix and with Okafor there is just none of that there's none of like there is just turn things over let the let it the process happen and it'll magically work and when there is no goal setting or kind of mm-hmm. or no or mixed goal setting or too high goal setting where it's like we want these guys to be all-stars by now and there's whatever it is, or we want them to, well, there's not like a tangible, like this is what you need to yeah, kind of get to. Well, disappointment is directly proportioned to expectations. Right. And, and that's exactly important. it. And you don't get that with the Suns. And I think that's sort of the problem there. Or, yep. The expectations are mixed. Yeah. Um, you know, on the one hand, you have the owner who wants to, these guys to be like all stars. And on the other hand, they just gave the GM who's preaching patience a contract extension. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't work well. It's just sort of mixed messages um, there. Um, so that's yeah. your vendetta. Uh, Good. Well, I mean, that's we, we're at. We're at. Well, like, I want to wait, yeah, what, Alex. What, what, do you have a cool stat? Yeah, that we, you we can do need of, to get a stat from you. We, yeah, that's, the stat, you are the stat guru. Oh well, actually, this is something I noticed just this second. It's not a stat, but I just <laughs> noticed Bucks legend Gary Payton's son plays for the squad. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, he does. Also, um, I do have a stat. Giannis, these first four games of the season has 147 points and is shooting over 65% from the field. Basically, since he was born in his entire lifetime, 
Uh, Carmelo Anthony had a had a stretch of four games in a row like that, and that is it. <laughs> so this any is any four games. Not just to start um, the season. Uh, any four games. LeBron did it in his last year with the Heat, but he took a game off in the middle of that stretch. So <laughs> in, in terms of consecutively. That doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, wow. So he's he's had a scoring explosion for the ages, not just to start the season, just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah. Giannis, watch him, folks, if you have not been. Yep. And, uh, and then you know, basically pretty damn good. have to have league pass because he plays in Milwaukee. No, man, but hey, yo, they're, they've been on national TV a lot. They were on national TV on Friday. They got the uh, Mecca game on Thursday, yep. which yep. I'm really excited by. Now, the NBA does a really good job in general of highlighting their talent. Um, uh, I don't know no, if I agree with that. No, 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 they I, do. I, 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 I think they're getting better. I think there's still a little bit too much of the Lakers. Yeah, look, don't get me wrong. The Lakers are on TV way too much. I'll give you that for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm glad we didn't talk about that point guard on their team, whatever his name is, um, on this podcast today. Let him him live. I'm going to let Lonzo be himself for a little bit. Let him get his feet wet. Let uh, Dennis Smith Jr. get his licks in the NBA. Hopefully his knee is okay. That worries me a little tiny bit just given his history there. I'm I'm a little worried about that Awkward swelling out of no injury is a bad thing in your your knee. Let's hope it's all good. Hey, what's Mm -hmm. the game that you're most looking forward to this week? I don't even know. I need to check this. Uh, You got one off the bat right now? Just like sort of an off the, maybe not necessarily like the big national TV game, Mm. but is there any league pass games that you think our listeners should be paying attention to Mm. this week that are interesting them for Uh, different reasons? Uh, I have one that I, a couple that I'm actually very interested in. Uh, They both involve the Clippers, Mm -hmm. as we talked about. How good are the Clippers, really? Tonight they get Utah in L.A., and then on Thursday night, uh, adjacent to what I think is going to be really interesting, which is DeMarcus Cousins' return to Sacramento, which is on TNT. Yep. They play at Portland, and I think that's a really interesting litmus test in the bottom of the West to see how those two teams really stack up. Uh, so that's that's a game that I'm really planning to pay a lot of attention to uh, this weekend. Yeah, and I'll say this. I'm glad we didn't talk about the Bulls um, at all because they don't deserve, they don't deserve to be talked about. Um no, I, I, I'm trying to think. There's a Sixers-Houston game that interests me coming up. I think they play them twice in the next week or so, but it's the, the game only Sixers, so far as this. The last Houston. Sixers game I was at last year, and Embiid's final game was a— It's, a, it's on Wednesday. Wednesday, okay. Was at, a, at, uh, at Philly. At Philly, okay. So last year when they played in Philadelphia, um, Harden had 50 in, <laughs> in a triple-double. He had a 50-point triple-double in that game. So I'm interested to see how we stack up against him in this. And, and Embiid had 30, and uh, that was the last game he played last yeah, year. Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't that the game that he they rushed him back for because it was Correct, national TV? because it was national TV. <laughs> so look right. how far we've come. But um, no, that, that interests me um, insofar as those are two fun teams. And, and I'll say this, like, I am really excited. I think Minnesota and Oklahoma City play again this week. Yes, Friday. Friday. Okay. After what we saw uh, yes. in sun- Give me that. Sunday. Give me that. That was definitely the best game of the year. Yeah, it was a awesome really game. well-played game, and yep. we didn't talk at all about Andrew Wiggins. Do you, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. I know we have two very different people on here with them. you as the independent arbiter of Andrew, Andrew Wiggins' yeah. takes. Uh, <laughs> I'm net neutral. I think he's a good player. And well, I, what do you think I, of how he started the year? Oh, he looks, he looks much better. He's, he's, do you think this is sustainable? Would you max play or trade him? I would. I'd I would max him. him. I'd yeah. max him. I love what I see from Wiggins right now. Okay. And I also think that like you may they may have found the counterpart for the future of his I mean, he, Jimmy Butler makes a lot of sense with with Wiggins. You can't yeah, I was a little more skeptical that. of that, but yeah. so far I think uh, early early returns are promising. I like that Andrew Wiggins has grabbed more rebounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, doing the other box score stuff that I, I think like that. may have been uh, a negative mm-hmm. um, in years past. But shot yeah. 17 threes or 19 threes already this year. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a nice stroke and and look Wiggins has moves, and once he jumps, once he decides to leave his feet, 
the touch is there right now, and and that's something that necessarily in the past he wasn't finishing as great at the rim. I'm not watching his scoring though. I'm watching yeah. him like how he plays off the ball. If he's kind of, he's done a really nice job of then coming off dribble handoffs. I don't think his assist numbers are great, but he's made some good passes that I didn't think he'd make. Like I don't really care how many points he scores. I mean that's not really the issue mm-hmm. here. It's sort of what has he done? And defensively, I think off the ball he's been a lot more a lot sharper. That's yeah. what we have to watch for. Oh, also Phoenix Portland 2.0. We'll see if uh, Portland can beat them by 60. This <laughs> time, so. Alex, what's the game you're looking for uh, this week? Good litmus test for your Wizards to wrap up the week on Friday night in Golden State. Um, if they can win that game, which Golden State is, a, <laughs> Golden State is a little vulnerable right now, but uh, okay. But yeah, that's that's going to tell us a lot more about Washington, I think. Yep, and I think I don't think they will lose. <laughs> and I'm looking Android. forward to figuring that out myself. Um, uh, cool, yeah. this is great. Uh, Alex Rubenstein, thank you for coming on. Making Pleasure your, to be your, here. Your first appearance on Limited Upside Podcast, first of many this season. Yes, and sir. Uh, Mike, we did it. We're into the regular season, man. We did it. It's fantastic. Yep. Um, cool. Until Not next enough time. talk. <laughs> we'll have to fix that next time. Many many games uh, still to be played, but until next time, everybody. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Go basketball.